somewhat strange, but the fact of the matter is, and you know it as well as I do, that uh, where grace abounds, grief abounds. Okay, I know what you've heard it said, when sin abounds, grace abounds. Well, I want to tell you, gang, when grace abounds, guess what? Uh, grief abounds as well. And the reason for that is that when we try to do that which God honors, we uh, have an enemy against us. Isn't that right? And we see that this morning in Acts chapter 7. In fact, we'll see it. I'll make a little reference to the first uh, five chapters as well. But you know that as well as in your own life, don't you? you uh, God begins to convict you of areas of your life, and you decide, you know, I don't like this life I'm living. And uh, God, I know better than that. And so you, uh, you begin to do some spiritual work in your life, and God begins to lead you in some directions. You make some fresh commitments. You repent of sin in your life, which uh, that's just, repentance is just not a one-time thing, is it, gang? It's a daily thing. And so you're in this freshening up stage. You begin to get on fire for God, begin serving God and walking with God, and all of a sudden what happens? The enemy rises up against you, and he throws everything at you. And so that's the reason why I say the blessing, that the challenge of being blessed where grace abounds, uh, grief abounds as well. We have an enemy that seeks to destroy everything that's holy, an enemy that seeks to destroy everything that's good. He seeks to destroy the church. He can't, right? Because the Word of God tells us the, the gates of hell shall not prevail, but sadly in church life. Sometimes the battles are a little bloody. Sometimes people are hurt. And at some times, the glory of God is hindered. And so we're going to talk about that this morning in the book of Acts. Early on, we see his plan of attack. Right after Pentecost, we find, first of all, there was persecution against the church. And, 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 and as Satan tried to persecute the church, I imagine he came to the place where he said, Rats, that didn't work. Chapter 4, verse 33 says, With great power the apostles were giving witness, and abundant grace was upon them. So, so persecution didn't work, so he did try, tried deception. And in chapter 5, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit about some money that they said that uh, they had given, and they did it. God doesn't like being lied to. And you know what God did, don't you? God killed them. Now, we can say it nicely, God got them out of the way, but the fact of the matter is they lied to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit killed them. And I don't imagine the enemy said, uh, or I imagine the enemy said, you know, that didn't work either. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 14, the Bible says, multitudes of men and women were constantly being added. The enemy can't win, but he can sure make life a little rough at times. When we come to chapter 6, there's a new attack by the enemy. It's called division. It could have worked here. It didn't. The apostles were aware of it. The apostles uh, stepped against us, and it didn't work, but it could have. And I want you to know that it does work in a lot of churches today. It's working perhaps in churches right around us. It could happen to us if we're not careful. There's some things in Acts chapter 6 we can learn. Would you stand with me in honor of God's Word? I, I want us to read chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and then I'm just going to point out some things that, that I, I learned from my study this week, okay? Acts chapter 6, beginning verse 1. 
Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable, it's not good for us to, to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Let me stop for a minute. Nothing wrong with serving tables. Don't look at this as something bad or bad. It's good. This was a needed thing. It was a required thing. And so the disciples are not saying that there's anything bad with that. It's just, they're just saying this is not what we're supposed to do. Okay. So verse 3, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon, Parmenaeus and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. Let's pray together. Okay, Father, it's a wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture that you've given to us. It's a, a passage that gives to us some wonderful principles, some cautions. May it help us to understand that none of us, no church is outside the attack of the enemy, but the enemy cannot win when we do it your way, when we do it the right way. Father, I pray you'll, you'll guide my thoughts this morning. Pray, God, you'll guide our ears this morning, and that whatever you intend for us to get, Lord, your Holy Spirit will give it to us. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. Be seated to keep your Bible open. Let me, uh, let me just kind of tell you, as I studied the passage, there were uh, three things that kind of jumped out at me, okay? And, and while we're in the process of nominating men who are going to be deacons, I'm going to address that. We'll see that here with the kind of men. The fact is, when I began to study the passage, I went into it looking for uh, things for men, uh, virtues for men. But God kind of took me on a side trip, kind of took me all around and made me realize what the context was, what was happening here, what could have been so bad but ended up being so good, okay? Now, let me just kind of give you some introductory statements. I want you to be aware that as we do look at these men, there's been some discussion whether these were actually the beginning of the deacon ministry, okay? Let me tell you, I'm not sure. Okay, I'll make it, Let me give you a definite maybe, okay? Uh, I'm not sure. I really don't think so, okay? Later on in the New Testament, we see it become a little more formal, a little more organized, uh, this could have been deacons. They actually weren't called deacons. The word diakonos is used here. So I, I think maybe they're not what we would call the office of deacons, although this text has been used an awful lot of times to kind of lay the foundation of those men who would be called and set aside to, to lead the church forward, okay? Uh, and so we don't know that. And, and I'm not going to stand here and say these were deacons. I don't think they were yet. But they were the prototype of those men who ultimately 
would become deacons, okay? And while the deacon ministry is for men, now I want you to listen to me. I believe when you study the scriptures, okay, the ministry of the office of deacon, the called aside, set aside office of deacon is for men. The fact of the matter is all believers are called to serve. We, the word we get deacon from that's used here is not used specifically for them. It's the idea that we're all to be ministers. In a sense, we're all to be involved in the work of what deacons are to be involved in. That means that men are to be involved. All men, whether you have that official title called deacon or a lady, it simply means that as servants of God, we're to be doing what God desires us to do within the faith family for God's glory and for the blessings of others, okay? Now, let me just tell you what, John, look at verse 1. Here's the first thing that, that really just jumped out at me, okay? And the first thing is that conflicts are common. There you go. Conflicts are common. And gang, listen to me. When a church is being blessed by God, when a church is trying to line itself up with what God desires under the, the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, there's always going to be some challenges. If you're not being challenged, if your church, our church is not being challenged, we need to ask ourselves, are we really doing anything for God? Vance Havener once said that he pastored a church that was dead. Dead, dead, dead. It was so dead even the flies had left, you know. Well, anytime you're involved in the work of God, anytime you're doing anything for God, you should expect some conflicts there. It's been estimated that, that this church at this point was running about 20,000 people. 20,000. From nothing to 20,000 in just a short period of time. Can you imagine the logistical nightmare? UPS could clear it up, you know? And so we should expect that. Here the conflict stated that widows were being neglected. But listen to me, it's more than that. There was something developing in the church, a, a, a challenge that is in every church. There was beginning to be an us versus them mentality. And that's true in any church. Now the, the Bible is said, Old Testament news, it all says that they were to care for the widows and orphans in their needs. But what was happening here, a class distinction was beginning. It was manifested in the widow ministry, but it was class warfare. And gang, class warfare will kill grace. Class warfare will kill unity. Actually, I think it was not just an us and them overtone here. I think this had some racial overtones. Let me explain that to you. In the church, there were the original widows. I call them homespun widows. That were Hebrew-speaking Jew widows. And then there came into the church for a variety of reasons, the, 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 the Pentecost movement, uh, other areas, but there were some Greek-speaking Jew widows that came into the church. That's called the Hellenistic Jews, okay? And so it was them, and, there was, and then there is us. And class warfare was developing. You agree with that? Read it. Huh? This wasn't about ladies. This wasn't just about ladies being neglected in, in, in receiving of food. In fact, the word tables there, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but the word table that's used there could refer to the, the distribution of food, 
But it also could refer to the distribution of money. Because that same word is used in the distribution of money. And so I kind of think it may have been both, probably was both. There was a, this, this wasn't a, a carpet selection. This wasn't the painting of the walls. This wasn't just food distribution. This was a divisionary spirit that was beginning to attack the church, that could have easily destroyed the church, and the apostles realized this is a major thing. And so they called the people together. Isn't it amazing how churches divide over dumb things? Isn't it amazing how sometimes that, that, that we just get caught up in our own ideas? And it's my way or the highway, or it's this foreign no more. And so we get in these battles, and people begin to get battles, and they get all these personalities and all these emotions involved. And before you know it, something that was so good, something that was so honoring of God, something that was doing so good for the kingdom of God, all of a sudden begins to fracture a little bit. Well, the apostles realized that this was a major thing. Anytime you're seeing the hand of God. That means things are happening for the kingdom. That means people are growing. And the fact of the matter is, anything that people touch, if you'll read biblical history, anything people touch tends to be perverted from the original intention. You see, when a church is engaged in internal conflict, then energy is dissipated. And the message of the cross is diminished. It's a common malady because soon it won't be God's will that we're after. It's my will, see. And we have to be careful because it's very common. And by the way, let me, because we may have some guests here. I'm so thankful that we haven't had that problem here. We've had a few little uh, situations over the years, 17 years. You're bound to have some. Sometimes you don't brush your teeth right and comb your hair right, but we've not had anything major. I'm so glad for that. And, and you can see that how God has blessed the church over the years because of that. But you have to be careful because soon something that's really just talked about like a food for widows becomes class distinction and wars break out because of that. By the way, I, I, I wrote this in my notes and I said, I don't know if I should say this. So I didn't really underline it or highlight it. But, you know, I've been here so long, you guys love me, so I'll say it anyway, okay? One of the reasons, and, and, and if you agree, you can say amen and make me feel better, okay? One of the reasons that I think business meetings are unscriptural is because many people believe that the Holy Spirit speaks through 51%. The fact of the matter is, when you study Scripture, the Christians have always been in the minority. Mm, yeah, see, I didn't mean to say that. I probably shouldn't have put that in there. But I think, gang, let me tell you, but back when we were having business meeting like 50, 100 years ago, I'll never forget, we, uh, we were having a business meeting, and uh, a proposal was brought from a committee to the church. Some of you might remember this. And it was one of those things that we just weren't sure about. It was like the Holy Spirit was speaking, but he hadn't spoken. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean, the difference there? And I remember in my heart really having some tension, you know? And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, for some reason this doesn't smell right. And when we voted, it was, you know, it was majority over 
the minority. I mean, it was 50-something, maybe 56, 55%. But in my heart, I knew it wasn't right. And I remember, I remember standing before the people, and I said, you know, gang, we could pass this if we wanted to, okay? But something's not right. Uh, and so I think what we ought to do is pray about it for 30 days. I'll never forget that. And everybody said, that sounds good. And we prayed about it, and the next month, we came right back, made the decision, and it was the right decision, okay? Ultimately, we did away with business meetings, and that was the greatest decision we ever made, okay? Well, just remember that anytime you're doing anything, and it shows it here in Acts 6, that conflicts are common anytime something good has happened. And that's true in your own life, okay? Satan's after you. Satan wants to destroy your marriage. Satan wants to destroy your home. Satan wants to destroy your kids. Satan wants to destroy your grandkids. So just remember that, okay? Verse 2, the second thing that jumped out to me, and I have to tell you, I wrote down here, I mentioned this gingerly with fear and trepidation, and that is because communication is critical. Look at verse 2. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve time. They called the people together and they communicated to the people, okay? And I said, I, I mentioned that with a little bit of fear because if there's one area church's leadership struggle in and, and one area where I feel like we have over the years struggled in is that often we fail to communicate correctly and communicate clearly. It's been a struggle for me, frankly, as we've seen our Lord bless, as we move through the transitions, sometimes there's a tendency to just run right past the people. Uh, as we've tried to get organized, sometimes we unintentionally create chaos. And I've learned sometimes it's not what you say, some, it, it's what people hear that causes you some of the challenges. One, uh, one guy, John MacArthur, in his commentary said, Christians become very unchristian when they get organized, you know. Well, when you're trying to get organized, you're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, and when you're trying to respond to the Holy Spirit, sometimes it's a little difficult hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying. Now, that's not the Spirit's fault, is it? That's our fault. We're imperfect. We're just not sure how to handle it. So sometimes we're not even sure how to communicate it. And sometimes it gets a little bit confusing to us, okay? But communication's critical. Now, here's what's cool about the apostles. They realized that this was not minor. They realized that this was major. And so they called the people together. And, and this is beautiful. Now, you may not get it as, as good as, as Don and I might get it, but they called the people together. And here's what they said. And listen to me carefully. This is not our role, but your role. Did you catch that? This is not something that we are to be involved in. This is something that you're to be involved in. We're not to neglect prayer. We're not to neglect the ministry of the Word of God. Delegation's difficult. They could have been criticized. Oh, you think you're too good to do this? You think you're too good to do that? They stood up and they said, this is our calling. They could have been criticized. The fact is they were going to probably get criticized one way or the other. Either the people or God, if you're going to get criticized, who would you rather get criticized? I'd rather get criticized by the people and God, amen? So it was a tough, situ a tough situation. Is there anything wrong with waiting on tables? No. 
It was critical to the church. They realized it. But it just wasn't what God called them to do. And all beloved, sometimes a holy no is hard but necessary. Or you run like chickens with your head chopped off. Some of you might remember what that looked like back in the olden days, right? See, they had enough guts. They had enough of what they sensed God was calling them to do to say, this is what we're supposed to do. Now, this is what you're supposed to do. Go do it. And gang, I'll just be real frank with you. Sometimes we're called upon to do things that God doesn't intend for us to do. But the reason we do it is because no one else will do it. And they expect us to do it because you pay us to do it. Here's my idea. If God lays something on your heart and you come to me or Don suggesting it, we're going to make you the chairman of that suggestion, see? Why? Because the Holy Spirit works in all of us. We believe in the priesthood of the believer, don't we? Don't we believe that each of us can hear God and study God's Word on our own? And if God calls us to do something, or if God stirs our heart to do something, why does it have to be the preacher that does it? Go do it. We'll support you. We'll applaud you. We'll even sweep up after you. And I love the fact that these apostles said, this is a problem, but it's not what we're supposed to do, okay? And then in verse 3, this is the main part that really jumped out for me. Cooperation is crucial. Brethren, select from among you seven men. Now, good reputation, full of the Spirit, wisdom. We'll talk about that. Whom we may put in charge of the task. What jumped out at me was this. That each person in God's forever family, each person in our faith family that we call Indian Springs Baptist Church has a role or a function that God intends them to do. And if each does not perform their function, guess what? We all suffer together. And the glory of God is dimmed. We are teaching our, uh, our preteens, I mentioned last week, spiritual gifts. And I spent a whole lesson about how we're to be dependent upon each other. We're talking about what are spiritual gifts. Here they are. What, how do you do that? But one of the things I've stressed to them, and I, maybe I, if, I can, if we can somehow put into their brain at 4th, 5th, and 6th grade, when they get to be adults, they may get it, that each of us has a function or a role in God's glorious church. And don't miss that. Now, often some don't like their role, they think it's beneath them. That's pride. Or some try to usurp somebody else's role. That's arrogance. But for God's church to operate correctly, two things are required. Unction of the Holy Spirit and unity of the people. You hear me? Unction of the Holy Spirit and unity of the people. And unity of the people is a decision that the people make, not to demand their own way, but to follow the desire of the Holy Spirit. If either's missing, then the church begins to struggle, Satan begins to get the victory, and there becomes division. 
within the church family. I got to tell you, there's sometimes I just want to go, I don't, I've never done this. I've been dangerously close. I've done it in my spirit. But there's sometimes I just want to go up to some folks and just say, shut up. Zip your lip. Go to Cracker Barrel, you know. Do anything but talk. Because every time you open your mouth, you cause trouble because you're critical and you're negative. We have enough in life that throws us curves. You don't need to come to church to hear it. Amen or oh me? Man, listen, every time I read the paper, every time I look at what's going on in our culture today, I'm thinking, oh me. Now I go to church and hear that junk. I think, oh, oh, oh me. And that's never been the intention of God's we got to be smart enough to know we got an enemy, and the enemy's not omniscient. The enemy watches how we operate, sees our weaknesses, and just mimics. And so the enemy uses people against the church. Okay? That wouldn't really went in my notes. I just added that. I hope it was from God. <laughs> not I'll have to freshen my resume, Don, or something. Okay, one last thing, okay? Notice what kind of men. I mentioned this to you last week. What did the faith family do here? Well, they selected seven men to perform their function. Some read an awful lot into the word, the number seven. It's the number of completion. Uh, for them, it was seven. I, does that mean we should only have seven deacons? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But they selected seven to perform their function, okay? And I mentioned to you, I don't think this was just feeding of food. I think it was also having responsibility to be sure that the, the money was handled in the church, okay? Well, let me mention the, the three men to you. I'm a little quick. I'm getting through quick, but that's all right. Let me mention the, the three men, all right? Notice, first of all, their witness, okay? The Bible said they had, do you see that? A good reputation, if you have a King James, it means good repute, okay? Now, we have to be careful here. The Bible's not talking about just good old boys, okay? These are spiritually minded good old boys, okay? These were men that when the church saw them and looked at them and observed them, they realized these were indeed good men. But there's a lot, I mentioned last week, there's a lot of good men. These were spiritually minded men. Spiritually minded good old boys, and there's a difference. We get the word martyr from this word. These were the guys that testified of a good confession of their faith. These were the guys that have called upon would stand up and die for what they believed. They'd stand up and die for their church. And the people knew it because they saw it in action. They saw it in their lives. They lived trustworthy lives that was proved over time. Christianity is not a snapshot. It's time exposure, see? And so we look at Men, if this is the call of deacon men, we 
look at men, we, we observe their life over a period of time and we see the, the trustworthiness by which they've lived, the faithfulness by which they live, how they've conducted the affairs of God, how they've, they, they've served the body of Christ, you see, their witness. And I would suggest to you when it comes to nominating men who will fill the role of, of deacons in this church, this faith family, you look at men by their witness of their life, their testimony of their life, the faithfulness by which they live outside of church and they live inside of church. Number two, their walk. Notice the Bible says they were full of the Holy Spirit. Now what does that mean? Well, it means their lives were surrendered to. Their lives perhaps sacrificed for. It certainly means their lives were controlled by God as opposed to their own human inclinations. They were not independent men, but they were dependent men upon God. And they were interdependent upon others. You see, being full of the Holy Spirit does not mean you're faultless, but it does mean that you strive to be blameless. And as you have to make those nominations, that's what you should look for. I, I love the writing of Warren Wearsby. Uh, he's one of my favorite writers, and I don't ever preach a passage of Scripture without reading what he said. There's not a, if you want to study the Bible, there's not a better general writer of Scripture than Warren Wearsby. And when I was studying for this, I came across something that he wrote. It was a pretty good while ago, and you'll be able to tell by when he says the 19th century and 20th century. But I, I, it just it stung me. Listen to what he wrote. He said, for 19 centuries, the church has been telling the world to admit its sin, to repent and believe the gospel. And yet in the 20th century, the world is telling the church, to face up to her sin, to repent, and start living the gospel. Those who are full of the Holy Spirit are people who live the gospel. And so you have a, an incredible challenge. Men who have a witness. Men who have a walk. And number three, it mentions their wisdom. Now, what does this mean? Well, it's not just a, a body of facts. You have to have some facts. It's just not a body of head knowledge. You, you have to understand the facts of what Christianity is all about, don't you? There has to be some body of knowledge up here that you understand. But just because you have something in your head doesn't mean that you have the ability to live it outright. Wisdom is taking what you know in your head and applying it to your life so that you live spiritually correct. Verse 5 tells us that Stephen was full of faith, living by faith, not by sight. That's what wisdom is. It's seeing what God desires not what man demands. Do you see the difference in that? When you're full of wisdom, you're able to discern Scripture. You're able to discern, this is what the Scriptures are telling me, and i I got a lock in my head on that. 
but I'm going to take it and I'm going to apply it into my heart, into my life, and I'm going to let it dictate my decisions. I'm going to let it dictate my directions. I'm going to let it dictate my deportment, how I live my life. And that's wisdom. And if you're not living in wisdom, then all you've got is a big head that means nothing. You know? You have a mental capacity to understand facts that has nothing to do with your walk as a Christian or the testimony of the Lord Jesus or the good of a church in a community. Now, that doesn't mean you're always going to make uh, right decisions. It doesn't mean you're never going to make mistakes. But it means as best you can, you're being able to understand. The Holy Spirit's illuminating Scripture to you so that you can apply it to your life so that you can live it. And beloved, you live it in a way that the lost world sees it and respects it. That's what wisdom is. It's seeing what God sees. It's not doing what man demands. Now, let me, let me close. Let me tell you what's cool here. Uh, Go back, go back into chapter 6 at the beginning. There's something really, really cool here. Because I want to tell you, this could have split the church wide open, okay? I mean, they could have went from being uh, First Baptist Church Jerusalem and a group split off and become Harmony Baptist Church or Unity Baptist Church. Be careful when you hear the word Harmony or Unity. Usually it's split, right? This could have been pretty major, but what they did, they came together, the apostle gave direction, the people followed, and listen to me, we don't know, but I, I, I believe I'm safe in saying in all probability, there were a whole lot more Hebrews in the church in Jerusalem than there were Greek-speaking Jews in Jerusalem. And this was a Greek-speaking Jewish problem. So what did the church do? They selected Greek-speaking men. You, you may not know that by just reading the names, but these are all Greek-speaking names. They had a Greek widow problem. So instead of them demanding their own way, we're the original. We're here before the preacher got here. You ever heard it? And we'll be here when the preacher goes. Ever heard that? I demand. I've always been here. We have two votes instead of just, you've only been here a year, you get one vote. I've been here 20 years, I get two votes kind of idea. They didn't do that. I guess they could have. They could have demanded their own way, but they didn't do that, church. They said, we have a Greek-speaking Jew problem. They selected Greek-speaking men. To deal with it. And what happened? It brought peace to the fellowship. Listen, a major problem, major division, us, them type thing. And it brought peace to the fellowship because they didn't demand their own way. What was the result? Look, look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. My goodness, the word of God kept on spreading. The number of disciples kept on increasing. And did you notice? And a great 
many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. In our vernacular, we would say, and a great many of the preachers were being saved. I think that's great. I think preachers ought to be saved, you know, right? You know, what happened? Man, the Spirit was released. He began to bless. Chaos was controlled. And the gospel of Jesus Christ became contagious. Now, I want to close with a little challenge to you. And you, and, and you, have, to, you have to be honest with yourself here. When people look at your life, how you live, when people listen to what you say, does the gospel become contagious to them? I'm not talking about within the walls of this building. What I'm talking about is in life, where real life is lived. I mean, every one of us can brush our teeth and put on some perfume and aftershave and smell good here. But I want to tell you, Monday comes. Thursday. In your walk of life, when people see you and listen to you and watch you, does the gospel of Jesus Christ become contagious to them? Do they say, whatever oh so-and-so has, man, I wish I had. I wish I had control of my life the way this person has control of their life. Is it impacting your family? Hey, parents, what do your kids think about church? Huh? Do your kids even go to church? Huh? Hello here. What about the grandkids? What about the family unit? Is there a hunger for godliness? Is there a desire for righteousness? Or are your kids turned off? Are your grandkids turned Do your kids and grandkids even go to church? The bride of Christ? What Jesus died for and what Jesus is coming back for? You see, this isn't about feeding widows. This is about life. And if you can't say that you live a contagious gospel life, then you need to repent of your life. You need to get on your face before God. And you need to acknowledge that you have failed your family and you have failed the glory of God. And ask Him to forgive you. And then you need to get off your knees. And start living for the glory of God. At the end of the day, people, the only thing that matters is God's glory. Huh? It's God's glory. See? Well, that's what I got. Let's pray. Okay? Miss Barbara, why don't you come for a moment? Okay? We'll just have a, a moment where the, our people can, maybe they've been challenged. Maybe they say, you know, my life is right. Praise God. Father, in Jesus' name, this is more than just a little bitty thing in a brand new church. This is something that could have divided the first church that they saw through the attack. 
They gave up what they could have said were their rights. And in unity, they gave glory to God and did good for their brothers and sisters.